The ACB E-Forum, Volume 58, December 2019, Number 6, published by the American Council of the Blind, read by Bart Morse in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 605-475-8154 and choose Option 3. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by calling 605-475-8130. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at at ACB National or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-O-F-T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. Copyright 2019, American Council of the Blind. Eric Bridges, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Table of Contents President's Message Traveling Across the Pond by Dan Spoon Puzzle Pieces Coming Together for 2020 Convention in Schaumburg by Janet Dickelman It's a Mini Mall Holiday by Carla Rushevel Vision Around the World by Sandra Sermons Blindness, A Global Perspective by Alan Casey Canada, Consumerism in an Agency-Dominated Land by John Ray The Situation of the Blind and Visually Impaired in Germany An Overview by Peter Bross Traveling to Ireland, The Trip of a Lifetime by Judy Presley Audio Description, An International Phenomenon by Joel Snyder why Go to See Live Theater If You Are Blind by Maribel Steele We Have Come So Far, But by Paul Edwards Affiliate News Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski 
high-tech swap shop. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, slovering at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll make the changes for you. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce List Serve. Send a blank email to announce subscribe at acblists.org or visit www.acblists.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o slash a-n-n-o-u-n-c-e and type your email address and name where indicated. All blind musicians all the time at the ACB Radio Cafe, www.acbradio.org slash C-A-F-E. ACB Radio's main menu is the talk of the town when it comes to technology. Check it out at www.acbradio.org. President's Message, Traveling Across the Pond, by Dan Spoon. The theme for this edition of the eForum is Vision Around the World. It is sponsored by ACB's International Relations Committee. We applaud the committee for their efforts and encourage other ACB committees and affiliates to participate in future issues. The theme concept has brought excitement to the Braille Forum and the eForum, and we congratulate the Board of Publications for a fantastic idea. This particular theme brings back memories of my time as an employee of Siemens Energy. Siemens is a German-based multinational conglomerate with over 400,000 employees in 150 countries around the world. I had the opportunity to manage several global project teams with members in both the United States and Germany. This meant lots of international travel. Many times these trips were with other work colleagues, but on several occasions I had the chance to travel solo across the pond. These trips were exciting, informative, and challenging as a blind person. I always came away with the basic understanding that Americans and Germans were much more similar than different. However, I thought it might be beneficial to share some of my experiences working for an international company in Europe. My trips would usually start on Sunday afternoon with a flight to either New York or Atlanta and an overnight flight to Germany. I packed a set of business clothes in my backpack so I could head straight to the office the next morning when I arrived in Berlin. We worked through Friday and I returned home on Saturday with a connecting flight back through either New York or Atlanta and a final flight home to Orlando. When you do this on a regular basis, the time difference, six hours, really messes up your sleep patterns. It usually took me several days to get back in sync. It was important to pack the proper items for the trip. The European electric grid is 50 cycles instead of the 60 cycles we are familiar with in the United States, so you needed adapters for all of your electric items. 
My first trip to Munich, I used an adapter for my electric razor that did not have the proper converter. Smoke quickly filled my hotel bathroom, setting off the fire alarm. Welcome to Munich were the next words I heard from the hotel staff, along with some chuckles from my American colleagues. It was also key to bring some euros with you for the initial transactions with the taxi cab and the local restaurants. By the way, the euro is fully accessible with different size bills for $5 and up. The bills are different heights and widths with different colors and braille markings. What a novel concept! Many locations did not accept American Express, so you needed to have euros available at all times. There is no ADA law in Germany, so the hotels did not have braille or raised print on the elevators or hotel rooms. There were very few ramps and lots of stairs. It will be interesting to see if the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities Treaty, CRPD, will have an impact on these accommodations. Most Germans under the age of 40 spoke pretty good English, but it was necessary to travel with index cards with the key addresses for the hotel, office, and train station to give to your taxi driver for directions. It was good to travel with a simple calculator, since you were always trying to convert miles to meters, gallons to liters, pounds to grams, and Fahrenheit to Celsius. There were usually three television channels in English, which were International CNN, CNBC Business, and Bloomberg Business. Remember, the international business language is still English. Thank goodness. My favorite story in Germany was a project review meeting we had in Berlin on our major implementation of the fleet management tool, FMT, that managed Siemens Energy's long-term service contracts for a fleet of 200-plus gas turbines around the world. These contracts represented over a billion euros of business, and it was a high-pressure meeting. I was the lead project manager, so when I entered the conference room, the German and American team members were already assembled. We exchanged formal introductions, and the meeting got underway. Like most formal Siemens business meetings, the focus of the meeting was a Microsoft PowerPoint presentation with a projector shining the presentation on a screen mounted on a wall. I was the manager in charge, so it was my job to challenge the team on their confidence in their projections and assumptions. Were we on track? What could we do to correct items that had fallen behind schedule? Did we have confidence in our budget projections? This was made more challenging by the fact that I was the only blind person in the meeting and the Germans were still trying to adjust to having a blind boss. When I would decide to challenge an assumption, I would point to the block of light on the wall and ask my question. I could not see any writing on the presentation on the wall, but had a very good understanding of the presentation materials and felt comfortable asking tough questions. After my third such question, my American colleague John Gates yelled, Stop, Dan, you are driving me crazy. It caused me to stop in mid-sentence. John had been a colleague and friend for many years, and I was frustrated with his sudden outburst. John continued, You keep pointing to the window and everyone keeps looking outside. The PowerPoint presentation is on the other wall. The entire room broke up laughing, and we had a great meeting. Like I said in the beginning, we are all more similar than different. 
I hope everyone gets to travel to Europe in their lifetime. It is a wonderful experience. Puzzle Pieces Coming Together for 2020 Convention in Schaumburg by Janet Dickelman. The puzzle pieces of our tours for the 2020 conference and convention are just about put together. Watch the convention announce email list or the January forum for details. Our October visit to the Renaissance in Schaumburg was very productive. In addition to visiting numerous potential tour venues, we had very productive meetings with the hotel. They are anxious for our July visit and are working diligently to make the hotel accessible and welcoming for convention attendees. All hotel rooms have refrigerators, safes, and coffee makers. Rooms do not have microwaves, but there are microwaves located with the ice and soda machines. When you enter the hotel, you are on what is called the main level. There are meeting rooms on this level. There is an escalator and six elevators leading up to the next floor, or the lobby floor, which contains the front desk, the restaurants, and bar, in addition to other meeting rooms. Everyone enjoyed the food. There is a very nice breakfast buffet, and the restaurants have ample seating. Whether you're celebrating Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or Solstice, may your holidays be full of warmth and cheer. Staying in touch. Want to stay up to date on convention news? The convention announce list will have all the latest information. To subscribe to the list, send a blank email to acbconvention-subscribe at acblists.org. If you received updates for the 2019 convention, you need not resubscribe. Hotel details. Convention dates are July 3rd through 10th. Room rates at the Renaissance are $94 per night for up to four people in a room, plus tax, which is currently 15%. For telephone reservations, call 1-800-468-3571. This is a central reservations number, so be sure to indicate that you are with the American Council of the Blind 2020 Conference and Convention at the Renaissance Hotel in Schaumburg, Illinois. Rooms must be reserved by June 10, 2020, to guarantee the convention rate. Convention Contacts 2020 Exhibit Information, Michael Smitherman, 601-331-7740, amduo at bellsouth dot net. 2020 Advertising and Sponsorships, Marjorie Beeman, 512 921-1625, OLEO50 at HOTMAIL.com. For any other convention-related questions, please contact Janet Dickelman, Convention Chair, at 651-428-5059 or via email janet.dickelman at gmail.com. It's a Mini Mall Holiday by Carla Rushevel. Open for business online 24 hours a day, the ACB Mini Mall is filled with gifts and stocking stuffers for everyone on your list.
Techies will enjoy ACB Bluetooth wireless earbuds, ACB power banks with logos that light up, and ACB four-port wall chargers. The 32-gigabyte ACB silicone bracelets for men and women come in many colors. Wear them on your arm or wrapped around a backpack or purse strap and keep files and music handy at all times. Six- and ten-foot charging cables for Android or Apple devices, the ever-popular SD card organizers, and pouches to keep flash drives neat and organized are perfect practical gifts. Be in style with ACB Silk Touch Polo Shirts and the new water-resistant micro-fleece-lined ACB jackets. There are even ACB baseball caps available in 10 fashionable colors. New in the mini-mall since the convention, 32-gigabyte thumb drives that say American Council of the Blind, ACB eyeglass care kits, ACB manicure kits in a very nice zippered padded case. Picture the future porcelain ornaments and jumbo ACB jingle bell in a red gift box. And now for a very special announcement. ACB has just reissued our history, People of Vision, on a new 32-gigabyte ACB flash drive. You'll find three versions of the book, a Braille BRF file, a digital audio file, and a Microsoft Word file. Hard copy Braille and standard print copies of the book are also still available and on sale this holiday season. Thanks to Kim Charlson, Deb and Dave Trevino, and Sharon Lovering for their help in preparing the new accessible People of Vision flash drive. For the person who is always on the go, select a roomy ACB plaid tote an awesome ACB duffel bag, or a terrific tablet bag embroidered with the ACB logo. And, of course, there are standard graphite and aluminum canes and graphite ID canes. Purchase roller and teardrop tips separately. More last-minute stocking stuffers, ACB luggage tags, mini-mall gift cards, and mirror and snake cube puzzles. The mini-mall catalog is at the end of the e-forum online. The audio catalog is on your Braille forum cartridge. Place an order or request a Braille or large print catalog by calling 1-877-630-7190 or emailing mall at acb.org. Keep up with new products, sales, and end-of-the-year specials. Join the Minimall email list by sending a blank message to mall-subscribe at acblists.org. Reach the Minimall by phone. Call 1-877-630-7190 between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Vision Around the World this issue has been a long time in the making. ACB's International Relations Committee, while small, was looking for ways of increasing its visibility. I can't even begin to tell you how many people have asked me, is that the same as the Multicultural Affairs Committee? 
The International Relations Committee seeks to promote the understanding and empowerment of people who are blind or have low vision around the world. This is accomplished through such things as the Voices from Around the World Luncheon, where international guests come together and talk about their experiences, along with other projects like promoting Braille literacy in Tanzania. We also do what we can to assist when natural disasters such as Hurricane Maria occur. Most of our activities take place during convention. So, in an effort to expand our notoriety, we bring to you an entire issue of the e-forum dedicated to the international stage. So join me on our magic carpet as we explore the lives, cultures, and experiences of blind people around the world. Sandra Sermons, Chair, International Relations Committee. Blindness, a Global Perspective by Alan Casey Editor's Note Alan Casey is a retired educator and CEO, a former Fulbright Fellow to India and England, and a member of the ACB International Relations Committee. End of Note Blindness manifests no respect for people, places, or politics. It robs one of sight, opportunity, and hope. It reaches around the globe into every nation and touches millions of lives. It challenges the best scientific minds and medical skills to develop technology, treatments, and cures. Its root causes may be as simple as a mosquito bite or as complex as a gene gone awry. No one is immune from its grip on life. According to The Lancet, a UK publication embracing several medical and scientific journals, blindness globally is particularly detrimental to an estimated 31 million people over the age of 50. Its presence in and impact on other population groups, adults and children, is no less ominous. Understanding the global reach of blindness is made more difficult by the inconsistency in numbers of affected people in respective countries and the compilation of data internationally. The principal resources employed in the preparation of this report are the CDC, USAID, National Institutes of Health, NIH, World Health Organization, WHO, International Agency for the Prevention of Blindness, IAPB, National Organization for Rare Disorders, NORD, and The Lancet. Globally, the major disease-related causes of blindness are cataracts, glaucoma, age-related macular degeneration, AMD, diabetic retinopathy, DR, and retinitis pigmentosa, RP. Lesser causes are river blindness, filariasis, and trachoma, albinism, childhood diseases, and vitamin A deficiency. Visual impairment or low vision is the principal result of uncorrected refractive error, i.e. myopia, hyperopia, presbyopia, and astigmatism. However, low vision may be a precursor to total blindness. Cataracts. According to the World Health Organization, 50% of vision loss globally is attributed to cataracts. Its presence is higher among women than men and among African Americans. The principal contributing factors are aging, trauma, diabetes, exposure to UV lighting, smoking, and genetics. 
It also is believed to be linked to economic status. Cataracts are most prevalent globally in East Asia, tropical Latin America, Western Europe, and sub-Saharan Africa. Glaucoma Glaucoma, the World Health Organization reports, is the second leading cause of blindness worldwide, affecting an estimated 80 million people by 2020. It often is characterized as the silent thief, as damage to the optic nerve often goes undetected until visual acuity is permanently compromised. Glaucoma is most prevalent among populations of Africa and Asia. Age-Related Macular Degeneration, AMD As the name implies, age-related macular degeneration is directly related to age. It is the third leading cause of blindness globally, as well as in economically advanced countries. The European Blind Union estimates that AMD accounts for 90% of blindness among those aged 65 and older. Other contributing factors are tobacco smoking and genetics. Diabetic Retinopathy, DR As one of the leading causes of blindness globally, diabetic retinopathy is indicative of specific lifestyles, namely low economic status, poor control of blood sugar, high blood pressure, and obesity. An estimated 140 million people have DR. It is common to the Eastern Mediterranean, Western Pacific, Southeast Asia, and some parts of Africa. Retinitis pigmentosa, RP. According to the National Eye Institute, retinitis pigmentosa is the result of a rare genetic disorder that typically causes a gradual decline in visual acuity accompanied by a narrowing of the visual field until only light perception remains. RP affects an estimated 26 million people globally, with a significant number in the United States. River blindness. As the name suggests, river blindness is associated with life along rivers in South America, Central America, South Asia, and Southeast Asia. These infections arise from mosquito and black fly bites, transmitting the filariasis parasite. The optic nerve and cornea most often are compromised. An estimated 25 million people are infected. Trachoma is one of the oldest known infectious diseases leading to blindness. It affects approximately 2 million people in 44 countries. Albinism Albinism is the result of a rare genetic mutation that not only causes visual impairment and total blindness, but also leaves the individual with noticeable dermatological anomalies and psychological stress. It is most prevalent in the Caribbean, East Africa, South Asia, China, Scandinavia, and the United States. Childhood diseases. Childhood diseases leading to blindness, e.g. measles, generally are considered avoidable when proper precautions are taken in a timely manner. A not uncommon phenomenon contributing to childhood blindness is retinopathy of prematurity, ROP, a condition more prevalent in Asia, Eastern Europe, and Russia. A second adverse element is failure to practice good dental hygiene. It is estimated that at least 50% of blindness in children is attributed to ROP. The World Health Organization considers ROP a major global concern. So, what does the future hold for global blindness? 
Projections in The Lancet suggest that by the year 2050, the number of blind and visually impaired will triple, increasing to 115 million blind and 588 million visually impaired. It is of little comfort that we are not now and will not be alone in the future world of blindness and visual impairment. These projections only intensify the challenges we face as global citizens. Canada, Consumerism in an Agency-Dominated Land by John Ray Editor's Note John Ray is a board member of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians, a national organization of Canadians who are blind, deafblind, and partially sighted. End of note. The most significant issues facing blind people in Western industrialized countries are remarkably similar. These include the lack of employment opportunities, the need for equal access to information, accessible and affordable technology, audio-described movies and television, accessible onboard entertainment systems and flight attendant call buttons, orientation and mobility training, equal access into all establishments and cabs for guide dog users, access to point-of-sale devices, supports throughout the education system, fighting poverty, the elusive search for greater involvement in decisions that affect our daily lives, and the imperative to resist society's austerity agenda. Blind people in your northern neighbor, Canada, face these same priority issues. But each country also has differences and faces its own unique challenges. Canada is no exception. Canada is the second largest nation on Earth has two official languages, English and French, and has a very small population for its size, only around 37 million individuals. The number of smaller centers poses particular challenges in organizing independent consumer organizations like the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians, AEBC, which I have been involved in for many years. Blind Canadians are faced by a large, monopolistic, service-providing charitable agency, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Founded by war-blinded individuals in 1918, this organization has achieved an almost sacred cow image to a point where many citizens assume CNIB takes care of the blind and believe that making a donation to CNIB is all that is needed. CNIB was initially run mainly by war-blinded individuals, and while today its board does include some blind people, it is largely run by philanthropic sighted people. CNIB is often consulted by government on public policy issues. It offers input, but it does so without direct involvement from the bulk of blind Canadians, the individuals who are directly affected by its programs and work. So what's currently happening in Canada? Human rights. Canada has an extensive network of equality rights legislation. Canada was the first country to include physical and mental disability in its national constitution. Canada also covers disability in all of its provincial and territorial human rights laws. Every year we see similar statistics reported. Disability comprises the largest proportion of complaints received by every human rights body. 
This tells me that Canadians with disabilities are aware that we have rights and are prepared to try to enforce these rights. But it also tells me that discrimination against all disabled Canadians remains far too pervasive. Legislation. After extensive consultations, Parliament has just passed the so-called Accessible Canada Act, which is designed to make organizations under federal jurisdiction accessible by the year 2040. Many organizations worked hard to strengthen the bill before it passed. Healthcare. One of the areas that defines us as Canadians is our health care system. When I fractured my ankle, I had surgery and spent time in the hospital and a rehabilitation center. All the costs for my care were covered by Canada's Medicare system. Today, work is underway in support of a comprehensive pharmacare program that would cover the costs of prescription drugs, as currently many individuals living in poverty often have to choose between paying for needed medications or paying for food and shelter. Transportation Until now, Canada's airlines, trains, intercity buses, and ferries have been regulated under a number of voluntary codes of practice. These are being combined and expanded and are to be consolidated into a regulation. It is expected to expand access in areas of check-in kiosks, onboard entertainment systems, and flight attendant call buttons provide relief areas for dog and service animals both inside and outside of security areas at airports, and require websites to become more usable. Employment In 2015, Statistics Canada reported the employment rate for disabled Canadians was 49%, compared to 79% for the general population. Unemployed respondents overwhelmingly said They were out of work as a direct result of their disability. Many jobs that blind people sought when I was growing up have been rendered obsolete by technology, which makes breaking into the job market even tougher for young blind individuals. At the second National Employment Conference held in Ottawa last December, the first draft of a national employment strategy was released. Through much of 2019, its authors are consulting with organizations and individuals across Canada. And a second version will be released in advance of this year's conference, at which it is hoped participants will endorse its content. Housing. Canada has recently unveiled a national housing strategy, under which a percentage of new units must be built using universal design principles. With an aging population, the disability community believes all new units should be fully accessible. Elections In October 2019, Canadians went to the polls for their next federal election. While some improvements in making Canada's electoral system more accessible will be in place, blind voters will again be discriminated against. We will not be able to independently verify how we cast our vote as Canada's federal elections do not offer electronic, online, or telephone voting options, though many provinces and municipalities do so. Procurement. Governments and large corporations can influence the market in a positive manner if they include accessibility as important criteria that must be met before they will purchase IT products and other equipment from any supplier. Library services.
Blind Canadians receive much of their library services through two specialized programs, the National Network for Equitable Library Service, NNELS, and the Center for Equitable Library Access, CELA, and increasingly access materials in various alternate formats from services like Bookshare and our local public libraries. We are seeking greater availability of books directly from publishers, and now that both the United States and Canada have ratified the Marrakesh Treaty, blind Canadians are looking forward to being able to access some of the materials that have only been available to blind Americans. Immigration While Canada has ratified both the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, CRPD, and its optional protocol, Section 38.1c of Canada's Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, IRPA, states that a foreign national is inadmissible on health grounds if their health condition might reasonably be expected to cause excessive demand on health or social services. While the threshold for determining what constitutes excessive demands has recently been raised, organizations continue to advocate for the complete removal of this provision. Braille Although it is now easier to produce books in Braille than ever before in human history, ironically, less and less is being produced. In Canada, many of us also consider Braille to be a blind person's true route to literacy and wish it were taught to more students in regular primary and secondary schools. Attitudes While much effort has been invested to improve public attitudes, blindness is still considered the most feared of all conditions an individual may acquire. New programs are desperately needed to help dispel these pervasive negative attitudes. The greatest missing link is the failure of governments and businesses to involve persons with disabilities in their decision-making processes. Despite the fact that Statistics Canada recently reported the incidence of disability now exceeds 20%, people with disabilities are not well represented in important positions where critical, life-impacting decisions are made. We are not well represented in the corporate boardrooms where decisions about what new technology will be built are discussed and determined, and our absence often results in new technology being rolled out and needed accessibility features only added later. We are not sufficiently present in media rooms where decisions are made about which stories will be covered and what slant will be applied. We rarely encounter anyone teaching in our primary or secondary schools who shares our life experiences, and some of us wonder why. We are not adequately represented in ministers' offices, the premier's office, or for that matter, the prime minister's office. And that's where the real decisions affecting the futures of all of us are really made. Significantly expanding the number of people with disabilities, including blind individuals and our organizations, into places where these critical decisions are made would not only help reduce our chronic level of unemployment and poverty, it would provide governments and businesses with a source of badly needed in-house expertise on disability, and this should help prevent the development of new barriers. For years, people with all disabilities and our organizations have advanced the compelling business case for inclusion, 
We have learned our rights and argued strongly for implementation of the legal duty to accommodate. And we have also articulated the moral imperative of diversifying organizations by including more individuals with disabilities in the mainstream of society. Yet so many of us remain on the sidelines, burdened by outdated attitudes and a wide range of barriers that still need to be removed and new barriers prevented. It's time for action, and part of this action must include involving more people with disabilities, as we are the real experts on disability. And more of us must be directly involved in the development and implementation of new policies and programs to make a brighter day a reality for Canadians with various disabilities. Failure to act will amount to callously consigning the next generation of persons with disabilities to the scrap heap of history. This would be a tragedy. It is time for action. I believe blind people in both the United States and Canada would benefit from increased cross-border discussions and partnerships. The Situation of the Blind and Visually Impaired in Germany An Overview by Peter Bross Editor's Note Peter Bross is a recently retired vocational schoolteacher and is on his third four-year term on the executive board of the German Federation of the Blind and Partially Sighted. End of note. Introduction Approximately 155,000 blind and 500,000 to 600,000 people who are visually impaired live in Germany. But this is only a rough estimate, since no disability-specific data can be obtained from any census after World War II. A significant number of the blind and visually impaired population are age 60 or older. Age-related macular degeneration, glaucoma, and diabetic retinopathy are the leading causes of vision loss among these senior citizens. Education and Training Traditionally, children and youth who are blind or have low vision were educated in special schools. In the 1960s, a growing number of schools realized the different needs of the partially sighted clientele, focusing on utilizing any residual vision. The late 1970s saw the first attempts at mainstream education. Throughout the following 20 to 25 years, interested parents and a growing number of teachers of the visually impaired had to struggle to obtain personnel and material resources to achieve their objective. After Germany ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in 2009, the idea of inclusive education gained momentum, but due to financial constraints and a shortage of trained specialists, we still have a long way to go to reach the intended goal. Due to medical progress over the last two to three decades, a growing number of severely multiply disabled children constitutes the majority of blind and partially sighted students. Employment In Germany, as in most developed countries, only about 30 to 35 percent of the blind and visually impaired population of employable age actually hold down a salaried job. Over the last 20 to 30 years, Rapid developments in automation and robotics have swallowed a considerable number of employment opportunities for our clientele. This is particularly true for non-academic work. 
The job market for lawyers, economists, teachers, psychologists, social workers, and computer scientists still holds employment opportunities. But the growing trend of digitization and rapid progress in information technology cause concern. Legislation regulating the accessibility of websites, software programs, and apps unfortunately is not as strict as in the USA or in Scandinavia. It only covers government and public administration. The private sector is as yet untouched by any accessibility regulations. Recent European Union legislation may partly remedy this situation. Disability-specific accommodation in the workplace is available through government funding. Braille displays, screen readers, and similar hardware and software can be purchased through funds raised by the quota scheme. The process can sometimes take an extremely long time, which can jeopardize a career. The German quota scheme prescribes that every company or business with 20 or more staff will have to allocate 5% of its workforce to disabled persons. Fines apply if the quota is not filled. Cultural and social participation. Public buildings such as city halls, theaters, and swimming pools are mostly accessible. However, adequate signage for the visually impaired and tactile floor markings are often missing. Less than half of all traffic lights are equipped with audible signals. Public transportation is very reasonable in most cities, while rural areas are often underserved. Voting on all levels is made accessible by templates with large print and braille signage. Their meaning and function are explained by accompanying DAISY CDs. These materials are automatically delivered to all registered members of their self-help organizations free of charge. Other eligible individuals can receive the same materials upon request. Eligible individuals can receive financial assistance through the health insurance system for purchasing 40-character braille displays, screen readers, magnification software, and optical character recognition software to enable participation in everyday activities that depend on the use of computers. Recent legislation demands that all movies receiving any degree of public funding must contain subtitles and audio description. For the last two to three years, the introduction of a smartphone app for both iOS and Android providing descriptive video services has greatly increased the consumption of films in movie theaters. Public broadcasting, which provides a major share of television services, makes available a steadily growing amount of audio-described content. Audio description of live performances and sports events is slowly emerging. Many local and regional newspapers, as well as a number of national magazines, are available via paid subscriptions through smartphone apps. Several talking book and Braille libraries provide free services to eligible patrons. Especially for Braille materials, the number of produced titles is significantly smaller than the number of titles available in North America. Financial Assistance and Other Benefits To compensate for blindness-related expenses, people receive a monthly allowance. The amount varies because it is not regulated nationally. The 16 federal states pass their own legislation concerning this allowance. Only those who are legally blind are eligible recipients.
The definition of legal blindness in Germany is the 50th part of normal visual acuity or less. In five of the federal states, severely visually impaired people receive significantly lower amounts. The definition of severe visual impairment is the 20th part of normal visual acuity. Blind and severely visually impaired people can ride public transportation for free all over Germany. An accompanying person or a guide dog also rides for free. This is also the case for long distance train travel, but the blind person is required to buy a ticket. A car registered in the name of a blind person is exempted from automobile taxes as long as it is exclusively used to benefit the blind person. Blind and severely visually impaired people in employment receive five extra vacation days per year, as well as a small reduction of their income tax. Despite all the above mentioned benefits and services, we have not yet arrived at full social, political, and cultural participation in society. And that is the reason for a strong consumer organization of blind and partially sighted people. To lobby for our rights and to provide peer support and solidarity among us. German Federation of the Blind and Partially Sighted. The German Federation of the Blind and Partially Sighted, DBSV, is the German acronym, is the oldest consumer organization in Germany. It was founded in 1912. It represents about 155,000 people who are totally blind and over 500,000 people who are visually impaired. DBSV is an umbrella organization which coordinates at the national level the work undertaken by its 19 autonomous regional member organizations, with more than 35,000 individual members, to empower people who are blind or have low vision. To speak with one voice. The regional organizations provide a range of services for blind and partially sighted people, such as counseling in all areas pertaining to visual impairment and blindness, delivering information, recreational activities, and other services. The work undertaken at the various levels of the network relies heavily on the commitment of more than 1,200 peer volunteers. The goals of DBSV are the retaining and improving the social status of blind and partially sighted people, promoting their independence and equal participation in the community, as well as enhancing rehabilitation services, legal guidance, cooperation with the national movement of senior citizens, and the implementation of the principles laid down by the UNCRPD. DBSV fulfills these functions mainly through taking the following measures A. Lobbying national and regional governments and parliaments. B. Legal counseling, legal representation, and filing collective legal action in all disability specific matters. C. Promoting participation in the community. D. Promoting access to the job market and participating in the development of new employment opportunities. E. Promoting medical rehabilitation and measures for the prevention of partial sight and blindness. F. Enforcing accessibility in all areas of public life. G. Promoting the development and provision of suitable assistive technologies. H. 
Promoting special as well as inclusive education of blind and partially sighted children and youth. I. Promoting measures for improving the safety and mobility of blind and partially sighted people in the public space. J. Supporting cultural and sports activities of blind and partially sighted people. K. Delivering expert opinion and providing advice to government agencies and private companies. L. Publishing magazines, brochures, and other media for its membership and to enlighten the general public. Since 2002, DBSV has stepped up its activities to coordinate the operation of the numerous professional organizations and agencies within the blindness system, which is reflected by the setting up and extension of their corporate membership, which is convened for regular meetings. And is represented on the decision making bodies of DBSV. In all its activities, DBSV is guided by the firm conviction that only organizations of the blind and partially sighted, which cooperate efficiently, are strong enough to achieve their common goal of sustainably improving the lives of blind and partially sighted people in our society. To take this strategic objective further, DBSV has developed and put in place a wide range of effective mechanisms, such as cross organization bodies for policy areas such as education, Braille literacy, information and telecommunication systems, environment and transportation, living with partial sight, living with deaf blindness, seniors' needs, accessible tourism. Regulating the use and general access for assistance animals, gender equality, youth activities to develop future leadership, and international cooperation. Traveling to Ireland The Trip of a Lifetime by Judy Presley. I have wanted to join one of cctrips.com. S E E S E A T R I P S dot com, trips for the blind, directed by Dave Cronk, ever since I heard about this company at the ACB National Convention in 2001. The trips are planned for the maximum enjoyment of the blind and vision impaired. Our group converged in Dublin, Ireland, from all parts of the U.S. We traveled by coach from the southwest of Ireland to the northeast. And back again with many exciting and spectacular stops along the way. It was a fun and exciting seven days. We had a resident tour guide who gave us an extraordinary amount of information about Ireland as we rode along in our coach. We made lots of stops along the way with plenty of time to explore. One of my favorite things was kissing the Blarney Stone at Blarney Castle, which gave me the Irish gift of gab forever. We had to climb an ancient spiral staircase up five stories to the roof of a tower. There I had to lay flat on my back while they slid me over the edge to kiss the stone backward. It was a very frightening sensation, but exhilarating. My other favorite was our pub night that was held in a family owned 250 year old pub with a thatched roof. It only held 45 people and there were 42 of us, so we had it all to ourselves. We had a guitar player who also entertained us with songs and comedy. When he played a bluegrass tune, I just had to get up and dance a jig. 
I also enjoyed meeting other blind travelers from all over the U.S. I was especially impressed with those who had no sight at all, but were brave enough to meet the challenge and adventure of traveling alone. I had my husband to help me along. Others had friends and relatives to assist them. Our cheerful leader, Dave Cronk, kept us all in stitches as well as making sure everything went smoothly. It was the trip of a lifetime. Audio Description, an International Phenomenon by Joel Snyder Editor's Note Joel Snyder is the president of Audio Description Associates, LLC, and the director of ACB's Audio Description Project. He is known internationally as one of the world's first audio describers, making theater events, museum exhibitions, and media accessible to people who are blind. Since 1981, he has introduced audio description techniques in over 44 states and 61 countries. In 2014, the American Council of the Blind published his book, The Visual Made Verbal, a comprehensive training manual and guide to the history and applications of audio description. It has been published in Portuguese, Polish, and Russian, and as an audiobook by the Library of Congress in the United States. A Spanish version is under development. End of note. Over the last 38 years, it has been my great honor to work with audio description, a narrative technique that makes visual images accessible to people who are blind or have low vision. The history of audio description has been traced from prehistoric times, ancient Greece, and on to the present. Observing how description has been employed regularly, if not professionally, by companions and family of people who are blind or have low vision. And then came its development as a professional assistive technology and service. As a formal process of translation and accessibility, audio description is about 40 years old if one counts as its genesis in the literature as the landmark 1978 master's thesis by Gregory T. Frazier, the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, an all-audio adaptation of the teleplay for the blind and visually handicapped. But audio description is an international phenomenon. In the United States, the first ongoing audio description service was begun by Dr. Margaret Fansteel at her radio reading service, the Metropolitan Washington Ear, in 1981 in Washington, D.C. I'm quite proud to have been among that small group of audio describers working with Arena Stage and then branching out to other theaters in D.C., Later, we conducted the pilot for the WGBH experiment with description that later became DVS, or Descriptive Video Service, founded by Dr. Barry Cronin. In the early 1980s, Japanese broadcasters conducted a trial of description for broadcast television, and as noted earlier, in the 1970s, a master's thesis was written on audio description by my friend and colleague, the late Gregory Frazier, founder of AudioVision, a San Francisco-based audio description service still quite active. 
and description was being discussed within the hallowed halls of our federal government in the 1950s and 1960s by a gentleman to whom I refer as the grandfather of audio description, Chet Avery, who at the time was a grants specialist for the Department of Education. I have been fortunate to work in more than 60 countries, helping to establish audio description programs for theater, cinema, and broadcast television, and making presentations on description at academic conferences. It should be noted that in many countries, particularly where English is not the dominant language spoken, description is not studied as a form of access, per se, as part of a disability studies program at a university. It's considered a kind of translation. It's part of the audiovisual translation programs in language and interpretation departments. It's a kind of subtitling. Unlike most light-dependent people, people who are blind or have low vision speak a language that is not dependent on the visual. Consequently, Audio description has been embraced as a new field of study in academic programs that encourage the exploration of audiovisual translation. Universities in the following nations now offer master's and even doctoral programs where one can focus on audio description. The UK, Spain, Portugal, the Netherlands, Belgium, South Africa, Germany, and Austria. Audio description is being practiced on every continent, except, to my knowledge, in Antarctica. It can no longer be considered in its infancy. Perhaps it is in its adolescence, with new techniques on the horizon broadening access to new media for increased numbers of people who are blind or have low vision. A new international survey reveals that audio description is an important assistive technology worldwide, providing access to people who are blind or have low vision to the arts and many other visually rich events. The survey, 69 Countries and the Pacific Disability Forum, finds that 67% of respondents said that AD is available in the respondent's country. Cinema, television, live performing arts, and DVDs lead the list of the type of AD experiences available followed by museums, the web, smartphones, in educational settings, and in visitors' centers. Almost 45% said that AD is required by law. 64% of those respondents reported that it was required for broadcast television. And 99% of respondents said they believe AD or more AD should be available. The World Blind Union and ACB are longtime supporters of the growth of AD. Both groups are eager to learn more about the use of AD by people who are blind or have low vision in its member nations, including some of the barriers to its use. The World Health Organization reports that an estimated 253 million people live with vision impairment. After leading several days of audio description training in Moscow, I came home with a new insight into the arts and access. My colleagues there taught me that audio description, access to the arts, must be a part of any democracy. In the United States, accessibility generally is not yet viewed as a right, as a reflection of the principles upon which our nation was founded. People in Russia are wrestling with economic circumstances attendant to a shift in government, 
that accommodates democratic elements. Yet to them, incorporating democracy means access for everyone. Over time, I think that all countries will better understand the power of audio description to change lives. With the greater development of audio description worldwide, I believe that we will have an opportunity to appreciate the value for everyone of building access for all. Why go to see live theater if you are blind? By Maribel Steele. Editor's note. Maribel Steele is a Melbourne-based author and freelance writer, motivational speaker, and positive vision educator. She is legally blind, a keen traveler, and an award-winning blogger and toastmaster. You can find this story and many others on her website, www.maribelsteel.com. End of note. I am often asked the question by sighted theater lovers, what's the point of going to a live show if you're blind? For the same reason as anyone else, to enjoy the performance. After experiencing my first audio-described musical a couple of years ago, I am truly hooked and recommend you try it too. The difference it made to the enjoyment of a live show was immense, thanks to a small group of dedicated audio describers from Vision Australia. Before audio description, I have always held a particular fondness for musicals, but as a person with a degenerative eye condition, I have to rely on my sighted companions to keep me up to speed with the happenings on a theater stage or movie screen. We often risk annoying those people around us who haven't noticed my folded white cane and turn to tell us off for whispering during a show. So I sit back in my seat feeling somewhat annoyed to be missing the visual cues and hope at some point the show will begin to make sense to blind eyes. Flower Children, a Sensory Experience I had heard of the audio description services from Vision Australia, for some time, but had never experienced it. When I received an email alert that the musical Flower Children, the story of the Mamas and Papas, was coming to the comedy theater in Melbourne and was being offered as an audio-described show, I knew I had to book two seats. What happened next was a real eye-opener. The person at Vision Australia sent me an email with a detailed description of the costumes and stage props, everything that a sighted person would see on the night of the show. I read it through with my computer software for the blind, and it was like having my own private viewing before the performance. The notes painted a vivid picture. Papa John, played by Matt Hetherington, a man in his early 30s, he is approximately six feet tall and of medium build. He has brown eyes, short brown hair, and sports a beard. Performance time. On the night of the show, Harry and I rocked up with great anticipation. Friendly volunteers from Vision Australia greeted us and gave instructions on how to use the portable radio receiver, and off we went to find our seats. Using the device with earphones was as easy as singing along to California Dreamin'. For the first time in my theater viewing life, I could keep up with the whole story. The clear voices of the volunteers speaking through my earphones 
brought the entire show to life. I was laughing and crying at the gestures being described, understood who was coming on and off the stage, and imagined the colorful descriptions of the shifting props on stage. At one point, Harry leaned in close to describe a scene, but before he could speak, I grinned with eyes alight and said, I know. Did this sensory experience get any better? It sure did. Meeting the Actors After the performance of The Flower Children, a tactile tour of the stage had been arranged for any blind or vision-impaired person in the audience to get nice and close to feel the props in a guided tour by the stage manager. I can tell you, many excited hands felt the props and costumes worn by the actors. While we sat up on stage on the same steps used in the show, Matt Hetherington, Papa John, came to join us and we launched into a rendition of one of the show's hit songs. So if you're still wondering what's the point of going to a live show, I can only say you've got to take a sighted friend and experience the thrill together. We Have Come So Far, But... by Paul Edwards I spent a fair amount of my life outside of the United States, first in Canada, and then in Jamaica and Trinidad and Tobago. Canada has a pretty well-developed library system for people who are blind, though recent developments have arguably been steps backward rather than forward. In Jamaica and Trinidad and Tobago, the situation is quite different. When I was there, the only real libraries were at the schools for the blind, and they were very limited and tended to be static. There were few new books, and many of the Braille books that were available were subject to attack by termites, which made reading impossible. One could occasionally get hold of talking books produced in the United Kingdom, but you had to have a special player that could handle the rather strange cartridges that were used. For many blind readers in the Caribbean, old Braille magazines were circulated as manna from heaven, and there was virtually no access to the literature of the islands, which was just not being produced locally in accessible formats. Governments there and elsewhere, throughout the developing world, were far more concerned about finding funds for the education of populations without disabilities. And so what money there was for people who are blind tended to be raised from the private sector as charitable donations. This is a far cry from our situation in the United States, where we have access to more books than we can ever read, in more formats than we can ever use, supported by substantial government expenditure. The stark reality for blind people in countries beyond the developed world is that they represent the group that is the most illiterate because there are simply not enough resources available to deal with a problem that is as intractable as it is unforgivable. Hard copy Braille is hugely expensive to produce, and a library system in poor countries requires an infrastructure that is just plain unlikely to be affordable. Even if money was no object, the issue of copyright prevented the production of books in accessible formats. In this country, we have a law which clearly allows designated groups to produce books in alternative formats regardless of their copyright status. In other parts of the world, such permission didn't exist. A publisher had to give permission for each book that was going to be made available.
And for reasons that go beyond this article, publishers were not often prepared to give such permissions. So, for the vast majority of people who were blind in the world, literacy, libraries, and independent and private access to either were a distant dream. Then, two things happened over the last decade which promised to make a huge difference. Under the impetus of the World Blind Union and with huge involvement of the American Council of the Blind, efforts were begun to develop an international treaty that would create a worldwide framework that would not only deal with the thorny issue of copyright permissions, but would also aim to create a huge reservoir of books that would be shareable among the signatories of the document. This, of course, is the Marrakesh Treaty, which the United States became the 50th signatory of last year. The treaty took effect when 20 countries had ratified it. So one huge barrier to literacy for people who are blind around the world has been effectively removed. There are still lots of countries that have not signed on to Marrakesh, but that may change. At the very least, we have created an environment where the free exchange of specialized materials for people who are blind won't be impeded by publishers and permissions. This is a huge step forward. Around the same time, a consortium of organizations from the developed world entered into an agreement to work to develop a whole new technology for Braille displays. The Transforming Braille Group, LLC, TBG, was formed with the express purpose of seeing whether a new and relatively inexpensive Braille display could be created, which, as their website says, could bridge the gap between people in developing countries, available electronic files, and a device they could afford. This group actually put up money to encourage proposals from various manufacturers, to evaluate those proposals, and then to fund the development of an actual device, which could then be available for purchase. The result of their efforts was the Orbit 20 Reader, which was launched in 2016 and was initially sold in this country to individuals for under $500. It would seem that Nirvana was close. Impediments to the spread of books had been removed by a treaty, and a device that could read Braille electronically was now available for a cost that was less than that of producing five copies of a hard-copy Braille book. It's important to note that the Orbit allowed for rudimentary note-taking, could be connected to a computer as a Braille display, and could interface with smartphones so that features like email, web browsing, and book reading through the phone were open to users of the Orbit. The technology used in the device could be easily repaired, and the cost of repair was light-years cheaper than that of earlier displays. Among other jobs, I am the immediate past editor of the Lua Ledger, the magazine produced by Library Users of America. That journal has published articles about both Marrakesh and the Orbit Reader. As a result of those publications, I recently received a call from a gentleman who was blind, is a professor at a university in Missouri, and who was interested in knowing whether Lua had any knowledge of how a library could be set up in a country like Nigeria, where he was born. Our conversation made it clear that, in spite of all the progress that has been made, we are far from the point 
where much change is likely that will turn the twin miracles of Marrakesh and the orbit into substantial progress toward the literacy of people who are blind around the world. He made it clear that governments are not likely to put money into such a project. He also made it clear that many of the people who are blind in the developing world are in rural areas, are not well treated by those around them, and do not, for the most part, have access to an infrastructure that will allow for the creation of education, literacy, and technological solutions to the problem. So, where are we then? Are we at a place of hope or despair? Let us begin with some hopeful developments. Even before the Marrakesh Treaty was fully implemented, a group called the Accessible Book Consortium, ABC, was formed, which began to catalog and identify books that could potentially be shared. There are already over 600,000 titles in their database by July of 2019. That catalog is known as TIGAR, Trusted Intermediary Global Accessible Resources. And that brings us to a major obstacle. Marrakesh does not just give individuals around the world access to books. It requires each country to identify organizations which will distribute books legally. These are known as authorized entities, and there will need to be resources to set up these groups, staff them, and buy the equipment that will be needed to set up the infrastructure in each country. Fred Schroeder is the current president of the World Blind Union, and he was present at the ACB convention in July. He made it clear that while libraries are crucial, the real impact of both Marrakesh and the Orbit Reader and other inexpensive displays must be in education. We have to find a way to make a difference for children who are blind around the world who remain illiterate and uneducated. How does the world turn these positive developments into real change in the literacy of people who are blind? This remains perhaps the greatest imponderable facing people who are blind throughout the world. It is clear to me that we must find ways to move forward. I think that there are three approaches that need to be considered. First, huge private companies like Microsoft and Google are already spending lots of money to create Internet infrastructure and literacy throughout the world. We must be sure that they know about the potential for change that exists for people who are blind in developing countries, and that we do all we can to persuade them that the most illiterate population in the world deserves urgent funding. Second, it seems to me that organizations like UNICEF and other United Nations bodies interested in implementing worldwide disability policy ought to step forward and champion the potential to revolutionize literacy for people who are blind around the world. Third, organizations involved with the World Blind Union need to continue to build the infrastructure that will allow change to happen. They must also work to create proposals and public relations documents that can influence developing countries to take this problem seriously and that can help organizations in these countries learn to sell change to their governments. In this country, we have access to immense resources for the education and literacy of people who are blind. All our consumer organizations and our four trusted entities must make it our business to be at the forefront of promoting ways forward that will make the intersection of technology and the law 
fundamentally alter the seemingly intractable problem of illiteracy among people who are blind around the world. This opportunity to make a difference is too important to be allowed to fail. We have the tools that can substantially alter the literacy of people who are blind around the world. Organizations of and for people who are blind have shown that we have the power to create a legal and technological intersection that offers immense hope. We must not squander this hope by failing to use the strength and capacity for change we have already demonstrated. Let us all commit to doing all we can to eliminate the scourge of illiteracy among people who are blind around the world. Affiliate News ACBDA Tupperware Fundraiser Are you looking for Christmas gifts for those hard to buy for friends and relatives? Are they close by or many miles away? The ACBDA Tupperware Fundraiser has just the answer for you. Tupperware has put together a list of products that you may order, and Tupperware will donate 40% of the sales to ACBDA. Date of the fundraiser is now through December 27, 2019. All orders are paid when ordering and shipped directly to you or whomever and wherever you wish. Payment can be made by using PayPal, credit, debit card, or check. This offer is good for anyone, so feel free to share this information with your friends and family. If you have a Facebook account, you can view this list, along with pictures, and even order on the ACBDA Tupperware Fundraiser group page. You can invite your Facebook friends to the group. Emailing the links is also an option. If you have any questions, contact Becky Dunkerson. Make sure to put ACBDA Fundraiser in the subject line or early in the message. Tupperware has many more items that are available, however, not with the option of donating the 40%. ACBDA Tupperware Fundraiser Facebook Group Page Here you can view the description, actual pictures of items, and even order. T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash Y-J-G numerals 4, 7, letters B-C-G. You can also order from the entire Tupperware website. However, these items are not included in the fundraiser benefit, and the orders will be kept separate. To browse, go to D. T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N dot M-Y dot T-U-P-P-E-R-W-A-R-E dot com slash. Using Google Chrome is recommended. Donna Thompson, Independent Tupperware Consultant. Text 515-419-8428. Email DJ T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N at M-C-H-S-I dot com. Becky Dunkerson, ACBDA Secretary. Text 319-350-8098. Email B-E-C-C-A-L-O-U numerals 1202 at AOL.com. Again, if you have questions or need help placing your order, Contact Donna or Becky. Here and There 
edited by Sharon Strakowski. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACBE Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Touch of Genius Prize deadline coming up. National Braille Press's Touch of Genius Prize for Innovation is coming up fast, January 10th. The Touch of Genius Prize was developed to inspire entrepreneurs, educators, or inventors to continue the promotion of Braille and tactile literacy for blind and deafblind people worldwide. This prize can be granted for innovative and accessible computer software applications, tactile hardware, or curriculum that promotes Braille and or tactile literacy. NBP encourages all applicants to think outside the box to what can be used to help improve the lives of blind people. The winner of this prize will receive up to $10,000. For more information, visit www.tocofgenius.org. News from Social Security Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security, today announced four new Compassionate Allowances conditions. CDKL5 Deficiency Disorder Pitt-Hopkins Syndrome Primary Peritoneal Cancer and Richter Syndrome Compassionate Allowances is a program to quickly identify severe diseases and medical conditions that meet Social Security's standards for disability benefits. For more information about the program, visit tinyurl.com slash numeral six letters A-F-F-U-Y. Lighthouse Guild Award Scholarships Lighthouse Guild has awarded 18 college scholarships of $7,500 each to students who are legally blind. This year's recipients are David Abrahams, Havertown, Pennsylvania, Harvard. Alexandra Allers, Fort Gratiot, Michigan, University of Michigan. Ryan Basso, Portchester, New York, University of Delaware. Mitchell Bridwell, Pittsboro, Indiana, Purdue University. Stephen Friday, Muskegon, Michigan, University of Michigan. Emily Hicks, Cumming, Georgia, University of Alabama. Jean Kim, Cupertino, California, Stanford University. Eamon Longois, Reading, Massachusetts, Skidmore College. Jack McDonald, Enfield, Connecticut, University of Hartford. Michaela M., Lake Worth, Florida, University of South Florida. Luke Miller, Elmhurst, Illinois, University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. Lucas Mullaney, Brightwaters, New York, Providence College. Kaylee Nielsen, Phoenix, Arizona, Wellesley College. 
Anna Ort, Issaquah, Washington, Brown University. Rio Popper, Redwood City, California, Oxford University. Caitlin Sarabi, Brooklyn, New York, Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. Leah Schiefler, Lake Worth, Florida, Florida Southern College. Kinshuk Tella, Miamisburg, Ohio, Miami University, Ohio. The 2019 Lighthouse Guild Teacher Award recipient is Jenny Paget, a teacher at Cupertino High School in California. New from National Braille Press. National Braille Press has completely redone its website, www.nbp.org. It was reconceived with accessibility in mind. The site is also geared to better serve audiences on tablets and smartphones. Now available is the 2020 Peanuts calendar, which rings in the new year with a different happiness is quote each month. This full-color wall calendar is 12 inches by 12 inches. The Braille is included on clear plastic labels that go right over the print pages. NBP has placed gift certificates into 10 random copies of the 2020 calendar. If you order one, check to see if you've won a $10 or $20 gift certificate. Also available is Click Clack Quack to School. It follows Farmer Brown and his barnyard brigade as they visit an elementary school for farm day. You will laugh and learn as the animals practice their best classroom behavior. This book comes in Contracted Braille, UEB. Getting Visual Assistance with an iPhone by Judy Dixon is available in Braille, one volume, BRF, DAISY, or Word. It takes you on an app tour of the 10 most user-friendly and accessible apps for getting visual assistance with an iPhone. Coverage includes assistance provided by apps through machine learning and artificial intelligence for identifying colors, currency, objects, and barcodes, as well as scene identification, handwriting recognition, and reading short text. The book also covers such apps as Ira and Be My Eyes. For more information, contact NBP, 88 St. Stephen Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02115-4302. Phone toll-free 1-800-548-7323 or visit tinyurl.com slash YDXLC numeral 3 letters S-A. Esther's Place Has New Home Envision recently announced that it will collaborate with American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, to establish Envision Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind as the new home of the American Foundation for the Blind Center on Vision Loss and Esther's Place. Operating out of Envision Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind's headquarters at 4306 Capitol Avenue in Dallas, the AFB Center on Vision Loss and Esther's Place will serve 150,000 individuals who are blind or low vision living in 11 North Texas counties, Collin, Cook, Dallas, Denton, Ellis, Fannin, Grayson, Hunt, Kaufman, Navarro, and Rockwall. 
a spring 2020 opening of the new facility is planned. Accessibility of polling places on tribal reservations. The Justice Department has reached a settlement under the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, with Sandoval County, New Mexico, home to 13 pueblos and tribal entities, to make the county's polling places accessible to individuals with mobility and vision impairments, including a dozen polling places located on Indian reservations. For more information, visit www.ada.gov or call the toll-free ADA information line at 1-800-514-0301. ACB Members Book, now available in audio. Poet and author of three books, Anne Chipetta's book, Upwelling Poems, copyright 2016, is now available on audible.com. Go to tinyurl.com slash y, numeral 5, letter P, numeral 7, letter E, numeral 3, letters HZ, to listen to the sample poem narrated by Lillian Eaves. Chipetta's books are also available in print and all online ebook formats, including Amazon. Her other books, Follow Your Dog, A Story of Love and Trust, 2017, and Words of Life, Poems and Essays, 2019, are being prepared as commercial audiobooks and will be released later this year. Chipetta is currently planning book readings and book signing events. For more information, including past appearances and future radio interviews, visit her website, www.annchiappetta.com. To learn more about the author or view her author's book page, go to www.dldbooks.com slash C-H-I-A-P-P-E-T-T-A slash. You can find her blog at www.thoughthyphen-w-h-e-e-l.com. High-Tech Swap Shop. For sale. Braille Blazer. In excellent condition with carrying case and box of paper. Asking $500. Negotiable plus shipping. Unopened box of Braillon thermoform paper, 8 by 11, 500 sheets, 3-hole punched, asking $50. Serious inquiries only. PayPal payments accepted. If interested, contact Jonathan Millam via email m-i-l-a-m-j at w-f-u dot e-d-u. Looking for Leonard Sahanik is looking for the following equipment. A BrailleNote M-Power note-taker with version 8.1 software, a Braille Lite 2000 with a 20-cell display, a Braille Lite 2040, and a disk drive for Braille Lite note-takers. We'll pay top price. We'll pay shipping. If you have any of these items, contact him via email L-E-O-N-A-R-D-S-U-C-H-A-N-E-K at G-M-A-I-L dot com.
ACB officers. President Dan Spoon, first term 2021, 3924 Lake Mirage Boulevard, Orlando, Florida, 32817-1554. First Vice President Mark Reichert, first term 2021, 1515 Jefferson Davis Highway, apartment 622, Arlington, Virginia. 22202-3309 Second Vice President Ray Campbell First Term 2021 460 Rain Tree Court Number 3K Glen Ellen Illinois 60137 Secretary Denise Colley First Term 2021 1401 Northwest Lane Southeast Lacey Washington 98503 Treasurer David Trot Second Term 2021 1018 East Street South Talladega Alabama 35160 Immediate Past President Kim Charlson 57 Grandview Avenue Watertown Massachusetts 02472 ACB Board of Directors Jeff Bishop Kirkland, Washington, first term, 2020. Donna Brown, Romney, West Virginia, partial term, 2020. Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin, second term, 2020. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, first term, 2020. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, second term, 2022. James Crott, Miami, Florida, First term 2022. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia. First term 2020. Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland. Second term 2022. Michael Talley, Hueytown, Alabama. First term 2022. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California. First term 2022. ACB Board of Publications. Debbie Lewis, Chair, Clarkston, Washington, second term 2020. Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, second term 2020. Zelda Gephardt, Edgeley, North Dakota, partial term 2020. Susan Glass, Saratoga, California, third term 2021. Penny Reader, Montgomery Village, Maryland, first term 2020. accessing your ACB braille and e-forums the ACB e-forum may be accessed by email on the ACB website via download from the web page in word plain text or braille ready file or by phone at 6054758154 to subscribe to the email version Visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, NLS-style digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 605-475-8154. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from www.acb.org 
slash BF slash.